with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to continue this study uh, through Matthew's Gospel. Uh, we're in chapter 6, beginning in verse 19 tonight. Uh, we'll finish the chapter this evening. We're going through a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, midway through the Sermon on the Mount. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray and just ask the Lord's blessing upon our time together. Um, this is an amazing portion of Scripture tonight. I believe the Lord has some very uh, profound but simple things to install into our hearts that will change uh, our relationships with Him. So let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, it is the only thing that has the ability, Lord, to set us free and to change us, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that You would help us sift through our emotions and our thoughts of the day. And that your word would bring us clarity and understanding. That we would bring our hearts and our minds in subject to your word tonight. Lord, and that you would speak to our needs, Lord. You know our needs, Lord. You know the deep needs of our heart, Lord. You're acquainted with all of our ways, Lord. There's not a a thought that we have that you're not aware of, Lord. There's not a word that we speak that you don't know. And Father, I pray specifically tonight that you would... You would meet the deep needs of our hearts tonight, Lord, that nobody knows but you, and that we would leave here encouraged, built up, and edified in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Like I said, we are in the Sermon on the Mount this evening in Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick up in verse 19 tonight. Um, just for, by way of review, Jesus is speaking to those who are deciding to follow him. This is not a message that he's given to people um, that don't want to walk with him. He is instructing his followers on how to follow him and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how we are to live our lives. Uh, What he put before us in our text last week in the first 18 verses uh, is the issue of motives in our charitable deeds, in our prayer life, and in fasting, And, and not the... Not the act of doing a good work, and not the act of prayer, not the act of fasting, but what the motive of the heart is uh, behind those deeds. The Lord is always seeking to get to, to the, deep, uh, the deep need of the individual. Right? The Bible says that the word of God it is alive and it is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it, it cuts through, discerns through the hearts and the intents of man. Right? He gets down into to the deep need. So the Lord doesn't just care about our prayer. He cares about why we pray. He doesn't care about really what we're doing in the optics of it all. He cares about why we do those things. It's going to be our motives that are judged at the Bema Seat of Christ. Right? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 7 that uh, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What the Lord is going to put before us tonight is choices. Choices in where we choose to lay up our treasure, choices of what we choose to do with our our vision, choices whether we're to worry or not to worry. And what the Lord is essentially putting before us is this singular focus of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and letting the Lord lead us and do what he desires to do in and through our lives. So let's look at verse 19. As the Lord continues this Sermon on the Mount, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, the Lord is addressing the issue, and it's always the issue of the heart. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on this earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He is placing the emphasis on the eternal and not the temporal. That's why John would say in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it is, it's of the world. Don't love this world. And what this really is, is an exhortation against covetousness. Have a light touch on this world. Right? Jim Elliot would be famously quoted for saying, Do not love something so much that when God requires it of you, you cannot let it go. I think what is taking place, I hope what is taking place in your life, in, in the church's life in this past two to three years, is realizing that everything in your life can be taken from you, and everything in your life can change in the blink of an eye. Don't invest here in this world. Invest in eternity. Look at everything in your life as something that has been given to you by God and steward it in a way that is going to pay spiritual and, and eternal dividends. Look at your finances as an opportunity to steward them in a way that is going to glorify God. Look at your relationships as an opportunity um, of something to be stewarded in a way that is going to glorify God. But primarily, uh, be busy about um, investing in spiritual things that cannot be taken from you. If you're, in a here, if you're here tonight and you're in a season of suffering, all suffering is rooted in a sense of loss. Even if it is emotional suffering, you've lost security, you've lost something eternal, internally that you had that you have no control over. But James says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what is taking place in your time of suffering in this temporal loss is this e something of eternal value that is bestowed upon you that you will then be rewarded for. So don't be busy about laying up treasure here on this earth because it's eventually going to fade away. Be busy about intentional in storing up treasure in heaven. That we, we have lost this in Western Christianity and in being intentional in your spiritual life. Right? Da Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. We need to purpose in our heart. Paul, or Jesus is going to go on to say in verses 22 uh, through 23 about being intentional about what you allow your eyes to see. Be intentional about what you allow your mind to think upon. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's, not, he's certainly not just talking about monetary goods and, 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 and things of this world. Where do you, what do you invest your heart into? Where your heart is, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is the condition of your heart?
When, you're, when your mind is free to think on whatever it wants to think on, where does your mind go? Dad will tell you what your heart is invested in. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is an eternal value to everything in our life. Every relationship in our life. Every friendship in our life. Um, everything we do, we can do for the glory of God. Sometimes, uh, A.W. Tozer talks about this, the danger of separating the sacred from the secular. Right? Sometimes we think coming to church is more sacred than uh, going to work, and it's not. It's the motive of the heart. Sometimes we think uh, giving a Bible study is more sacred than uh, doing dishes, and it's not. It's the motive of the heart that sanctifies the work. Uh, I could be up here just doing this and not having my heart invested in it, and I'm laying up no spiritual treasure in heaven. That's possible. That's doable. Where there could be, I remember my friend telling a story. He went on a mission. He went to the mission field, and this, this older lady, this, this missionary, housed them. And up above her, her sink in her kitchen, it said, um, uh, eternal work is done here three times daily. Preparing meals for her family, preparing meals for missionaries, preparing meals serving people. So it's not the work that is holy, it's the heart behind the work that sanctifies the work. And that's what makes our relationship with Jesus so enjoyable. When you have an opportunity to deny self, take up your cross, and, and follow him and do it for the glory of Jesus, immediately the heart of God is thrust into your heart and you know no matter what the work is, you're laying up treasure in heaven. I'm convinced we'll get to the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ and we will see some little lady that gave her life in her prayer closet to praying for the missionaries and praying for the pastors and praying for, for those who do ministry and had no, had no tangible hand in it take away a bigger crown than those who were visible because it was the heart behind it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what are you investing in here tonight is the question. What is your heart invested into? And these, these are questions that the Lord puts before us that, that they're searing questions. They, they divide. We can't just read, we can't just casually read these things and move on to the next thing. We have to let it get deep into our heart and we have to ask ourselves these questions. Where is my heart at tonight? What is consuming my heart? What is the deep passion of my heart? Is it eternal? Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3 to set your mind on things above. That term mind means your affections. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. Because you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. The problem is in our walks with the Lord, we haven't viewed ourselves as dead with Christ yet. So we're still struggling to find our way here on this earth. You'll never be comfortable on this world. If you've been illuminated to the truth of the gospel, you, you'll never, ever have complete peace in your earthly pursuit. If it's not sanctified by the Holy Spirit, if it's not given up to the Lord, if you're not doing what you're doing for the Lord, you'll never have complete peace because you'll be utterly aware of the fact that this is temporal. And again, it's not the work that makes that sanctified. It's the heart that sanctifies the work. 
he goes on to say, the lamp of the body is the eye. Look at this verse with me because this is so important in the day that we're living in. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We have to sit with this for a moment. Because everything is vying for our attention these days. We, we, we are so careless with what we allow into our eyes. Our conscience is so seared because we're so accustomed to viewing the filth of this earth that it doesn't even prick our conscience anymore. The lamp of your body is the eye. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what the Lord is saying here. You remember the, the, little, the song you learned when you were a little child in church, be careful, little eye, what you see. Because the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eye, what you see. The heartbeat behind this is the, the profound statement of Jesus in the 26th or the 22nd verse. That the lamp of your body is the eye. A lot of people in the days that we're living in, there's this, there's this constant struggle with oppression and depression. And the fir- my first question often so with, is, is, what are you allowing your eye to see? Are you being diligent to, to, to stop scrolling your feed, to stop looking at things that don't matter? Because the temptation, again, when you're going through a season like that, is to distract yourself from how you feel. With filling yourself with the light of this world that is only darkness and not filling your, your eye, which is the lamp of the body, with the light of the word that exposes the depths of your heart, thus going away full of more light, you, we have the choice. We have the choice. Do we want to walk in light or do we want to walk in darkness? What do we want to allow into our minds? Because again, what is Jesus really addressing here? The condition of the heart. What you allow your eye to see affects the condition of your mind, which ultimately affects the condition of your heart. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says to keep your heart, to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. If you want to be discerning in these days, you will guard your eye. You don't need to to know what's going on more than you already know what's going on, if you catch what I'm saying, to really know the heart of what's going on. What have we been hearing these past few weeks? Global food shortage. Famine is coming. Yeah, Yeah, we know that. And America's part of it. Yeah, we know that. Why do we know that? Because the world is going as the world is supposed to go according to Scripture. And so we shouldn't be discouraged by these things. We should look up and say, okay, Lord, you're coming soon. So what, what is my heart's response to that? I want to obey what Jesus said as he was uh, unfolding the, the answer to the questions of the disciples on the, the, the Olivet Discourse. What are the signs of the times? What does he say? The first thing, take heed that no one deceive you. If your eye is full of the content of this world, you will have no discernment and thus you will be deceived. We need to all be humble enough and aware enough of our own ability to be deceived. We are all um, capable 
of being deceived. I hope you know that. No matter how spiritual you think you are, you are no, you are no match for the deception of Satan. Peter was no match. Adam, Adam literally walked with God. In the garden, with no other temptation, and he was still deceived. Who do we think we are? We, we should be so, we should be, as, as, the, as the psalmist said, I desire your word more than my necessary food. We, we cannot afford to be distracted in the days that we're living in. And if you get one warning out of anything I'm saying here tonight, it's, it's, it's have a closer relationship with your Bible. Spend more time in his word. And you may be in a place where you haven't been reading. You say, well, I don't feel like reading when God doesn't really speak to me. Wait upon him. We've lost the ability to meditate upon his word. Fill your mind with his word and meditate in it. Isn't that what the Lord told Joshua before he went on into the promised land? If you meditate on my word you will find good success. Fill your mind with his word in these days that you're living in and you will be able to discern right from wrong, truth from error, Satan, your flesh, the word of the Lord, your feelings. We're, going, we're living in dark days. We're going into darker days. If you don't stay close to the Lord and his word, you will not be able to discern not only the lies of this world, the lies of the enemy, but your own feelings your own thoughts, your own emotions. We, we need to be careful with what we allow into our minds in these days that we're living in. I, I, I can't exhort you enough, I can't warn you enough that the light of this world is only darkness. The lure of this world is great. And, and, and know this, that Satan's not gonna, not gonna just pop out from behind the corner and say, hey, it's me, it's Satan, I'm trying to deceive you. Right? What does the Bible say? That he transforms himself into an angel of light. One click leads to another click, leads to another click, leads to another click, and then you're somewhere where you never intended to be because Satan is crafty and he wants to hook you. He waits for you. He waits to hook you. He, he's studying you. He's plotting against you. And he's not trying to, to come against you at your greatest your, 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 your greatest strength. He attacks you where you're weak. And the problem is, is we, we oftentimes haven't spent enough uh, time alone with God for God to reveal to us where we're weak. Sometimes our strongest point is our weakest point. But we haven't spent enough time alone in his word for him to, to, to reveal to us, no, you're, you're actually prideful. You're selfish. You're envious. Your heart is wicked. You're deceiving yourself. Your thoughts are not, are not honoring to me. And, and you, haven't, you haven't cleansed your mind and your heart with his word to show you the truth about yourself. And therefore you fall at the point where you thought you were strongest because it's actually where you are weakest. Wasn't that Peter? I'll never deny you, Lord. He denies the Lord. Moses, his anger. So on and so forth. You can go through every... David, when he was not, sometimes we despise the seasons that are difficult for us. And I get that. God's given you a promise. You're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And you feel like everything in your life is just only a struggle all the time. Like, like David, you're constantly being hunted by Saul. The enemy's constantly after you. 
You feel that way and it wears on you and it wears on you, but it keeps you close to the heart of God. Don't forget that David was close to the heart of God, closer to the heart of God when he was being uh, pursued by Saul than he was when he was in the palace and he fell with Bathsheba. He stopped seeking. He got comfortable. And he got comfortable with the delicacies of the world. It dulled his spiritual senses. And you may say, well, well, it's just a little bit. I'm just watching this. I'm just seeing this. Be careful. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. That's what I want. This world is so dark. I want to walk in the light. The Bible calls us children of the light. The Bible tells us that we are to, to walk in the light, not into, in the darkness. This world has a light, but it's a false light. It's darkness. This world has a, has, a, has a false enlightenment. That's why the New Age movement is so, is so prevalent in the days that we're living in right now. It appeals to your feelings. It appeals to your emotions. It appeals to your flesh. And it is a light, but it is darkness. He says in verse 23, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, notice what he's talking about. He's talking about the inner man. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This, this word mammon this is another term for materialism things of this earth. You cannot, you cannot serve this pursuit that's going to make you more materially successful and serve the Lord supremely. A lot of us forfeit our callings because we're not singular in our focus and we're not content with what the Lord puts into and gives, gives us in our lives. Remember what Paul would say in Philippians 4, I've learned in whatever state I am to abound. I've learned to abound and I've learned how to be a base. I can do all things through Christ that, that strengthens me. Whatever season you're in right now, the Lord has put you there, whether you're abounding or you're a base and you need to learn how to abound as much as you learn how to be a base. Be, see, seeking the Lord and walking with Him while you, are being, while you are a base and stripped of everything is easy. But keep a heart on fire for God while you're abounding. That's a greater test. You may say, Lord, I just, I just need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. I need to just this area, take care of this area. And you think, if I, if I will just get to this place, I will seek you better. No, you won't. Until you learn how to abound while you're abased. And then the Lord's going to meet your need, because we're going to talk about that in a moment. The Lord's going to meet your need. But will you seek him still when he's met your need? Will you seek him as fervently and as passionately as you did as, as when you were aware of your own brokenness and your weakness and your nothingness and your lack of material uh, needs being met? Will you seek him that passionately when all your needs are met? I love the, the line that the Lord draws. I, I need this in my life. I need this simplicity. No one can serve two masters. Notice what he says. We are slaves. You're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave to something else. The only freedom to be found is to be found in Christ. There is no such thing as a free man or a free woman 
completely. He is either your Lord or he is not. And we, again, these are portions of Scripture that we need to get alone with and we need to ask ourselves these questions. Is he my master? Not from a place of condemnation. Look, the Lord is not saying there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you feel condemned right now, it's not the Lord. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is going to lead you to bondage. Conviction is going to lead you to freedom. The Lord may be putting his finger on your heart because he's saying, I'm a good master. I'll meet your needs. Just serve me. Do what I say because I love you. I know what's ahead of you. I know what's, I know what's, I don't only know what's a year down the road. I know what's 10 years down the road. And if you could just obey me not knowing why, and just trust me, just trust me that I'm good and, I, and I'm gracious and, I, and I'm leading you to besides still waters. If you could just trust me, I ensure you that you're going to be okay tomorrow. But so many times we're worried about tomorrow's strength today. You're not going to get strength for tomorrow today. I was in that time today before my day even started. I looked at my wife when I, when I woke up this morning like, ah, I can't do it. Because my mind was so full of even months down the road. But the Lord quickly reminded me, we're not even worried about that. Like, let's, let's get through today. Walk with me today. Enjoy me today. Experience my power today. Experience my grace today. And then you're serving him. You cannot serve two masters. What is your master passion? What is your master passion? What is the thing? Or who is, the, who is it? Who are you serving? Are you serving your vision? Or are you serving God's vision? Because God's vision is very simple. The terms of discipleship are, are laid out very simply in Scripture. And they're lived out. They're laid out in Scripture and they're lived out by Jesus. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You suffer. I suffer. The church suffers today because the church at large has gotten away from the conditions of discipleship. To deny yourself, what does that mean? That means to relinquish the rights of your life. That is a hard thing to do in the flesh. You can't do it in the flesh because you don't understand it. To relinquish the rights of your life. What is the first condition of discipleship? Relinquishment. Second, take up the cross. That's acceptance. Accept the cross in your life. Whatever is bringing death to yourself, accept it. Stop kicking against it. Accept the suffering. The cross means suffering. There's going to be suffering in this life. There's going to be suffering in the life of the Christian. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. But what happens when you accept the cross? You lose your rights. No one hanging on a cross. When you look at someone hanging on a cross, you don't think that person has a ton of rights. Anyone could walk up to that man and do whatever they want to that man. But you're crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. It's Christ that lives in you. First condition, relinquish the rights to your life. Second condition, accept the cross. And third condition is obedience. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That is serving Jesus. That is serving the master. 
obeying him. And what does he say? Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. What do you mean? There's, there's an ele- look, at, there's an element of faith to this. Why do we serve the masters of this earth? Because they promise an immediate gratification. Why, why do people uh, serve the needle? Why do people serve the pipe? Why do people serve the bottle? Because it, it meets an, an immediate need. That's not faith. And the Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. But when you're called to follow Jesus, it's a step of faith in the opposite direction of what you can see and perceive and to reason with your own, uh, your own intellect. But if you lose your life for his sake, you end up finding your life. I, I had no idea that what God is doing in my life today was going to take place 15 years ago, however long I've been saved. And neither will you. You can trust the burdens and the desires that he puts in your heart. The desire to be married. The desire to have children. The desire to serve him. The desire to fulfill your calling. These desires you can trust because you're a child of God. But you need to begin to understand that he is a good master. And he will not give them to you until his timing. And so you trust in him. And you need to deny your ability to obtain those things your way and surrender to him and say, Lord, your will be done in my life. Have your way. You can't serve two masters. And a lot of frustration in our life, a lot of the lack of peace in our life comes because we're trying to serve two masters. We're trying to be a Christian, but we're also trying to serve whatever it is in our lives. Because he goes on to say, you will either hate the one. And you may say, well, well I, don't, I don't hate Jesus. I love Jesus. But do you? Do you love Jesus? Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will do whatever I say. The evidence of your love for Jesus is your obedience to Jesus' commandments. Even if you don't understand them. You will either... You will either hate the one and love the other. This word hate, it means to love less. He says, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The Lord demands love and loyalty. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you find yourself where the Spirit of God is, is is sifting through your heart right now and revealing, man, Lord, I I don't love you. Don't be condemned by that. The Lord already knows that. He's not surprised by your lack of love for him, but he's willing to work with it. If you'd acknowledge it, then you'd experience growth in your knowledge of who he is. If you would just acknowledge, Lord, I don't love you the way you want me to love you, and I can't love you the way you want me to love you, but I know that you said it when your spirit comes, he will enable me to do that. Lord, help me to love, your, love you more. Then you will grow in this understanding of just how much Jesus loves you, and you will find that you're loving him in return. Love is only satisfied when it's loved in return. 
The love of Jesus is only satisfied when it's loved and returned. That's why he pursues you so persistently and so passionately. And you're never going to be comfortable in your sin. And you're never going to be comfortable in an unequally yoked relationship. And you'll never be comfortable in this world because he's always pursuing you. And he, he, his heart is never going to be content until it's loved in return. Same with our hearts. We will never find contentment until we find contentment in, our, in, our, in, in the love of Jesus for us. And you're never going to, he, let, he loves you enough to let you fill your heart with other things. Because he's not going to push himself on you. And then he loves you enough once you've filled yourself with your heart with other things and other idols and other strongholds. He loves you enough to come in once you let him to break down those strongholds and those idols. He's always there. His, his word to you is always come. Learn of me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. I'm meek. You'll find rest for your souls. But he lets us go to this place of unrest to realize he's the only rest. He's so good to us. But if we would purpose in our heart, Right, this, what the Lord is talking about in verse 24 is this, this lukewarm Christian. And what does he say in Revelation that I'll, I'll vomit you out of my mouth? He says, what does he say? Repent and do your first works. What were your first works? Remember when you first got saved, how you just wanted to be alone with him? You just wanted to pray? You just wanted to walk with him? You were aware of your need for him? Remember what he told the, the what was the Lord's, uh, rebuke to the nation of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2. He says, I remember you. I remember you, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord. You sought me when you knew you needed me. Then I blessed you and I brought you to the promised land and you filled your heart with other idols because your eye played the harlot with other gods. And then your heart grew cold towards me. You can't serve God in mammon. And I, I, love, I love how he begins verse 25 because he's implying that you're going to leave this exhortation of verse 24 and you're going to commit your, your heart to walk with him supremely. Not in perfection, but with a right heart towards him. He says, therefore, notice the confidence that you can have in him. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. That is an audacious statement. What do you mean, don't worry about my life? Because your life is not yours to worry about. Your life is not your own. Jesus bought you. And when I buy something, it's, it's mine to do with, with, with it what I want. He bought you. Your life is not your own. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Have no, the, the word means, have no anxious thought. Whatever is gripping your heart with fear tonight, understand it's demonic. Whatever, uh, 365 times in the Bible, this, this commandment is given, do not be afraid. Why? Because our hearts are prone to fear. Because our minds want to understand. And when we don't understand, we're insecure. And when we're insecure, we're fearing. But when we're close to him, we're content to submit to his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. 
Don't worry about the big things. Don't worry about the small things. Don't worry about anything. The Lord has your life in the palm of his hand. And if you are supremely committed to him, you can have this peace. You can have the peace that surpasses all understanding. Remember what he told Gideon? That, that I am the God of peace. I am with you. I will go before you even though the enemy is right in front of you and, and they are real. You can have my peace. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. That is why you need to fill your, your, your mind, your eye, as verse 22 says, with the word of God. Because everything that is being propagated in the media today is to make you worry. Because then you're not on a sure foundation. And when you're worried, you can be deceived. Do not worry about your life. He says this, what you will eat, your, your basic needs, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Highlight that because your life has a purpose. And if you're not living for that purpose, you're living for less than you were created for. And you're not experiencing the confidence in this promise. If you're not solely committed to the task of pleasing God and enjoying Him, the question's been asked, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to know God and to glorify Him forever. So whatever position you find yourself in, if the posture of your heart is to know Him and glorify Him, you're going to experience the peace of God in your life. Because you're surrendering to Him. God, you've put me here. It's not my responsibility supremely to provide for myself. You'll provide for me. You'll provide whatever my needs are emotionally, physically, spiritually. But when you're distracted by everything and you're not where God wants you to be, you're not going to have this peace. Your life is more than this temporary life. God has an eternal purpose for your life. That is the truth that lit my soul on fire. I, remember, I always knew the gospel. I always knew that there was a God. I, I didn't doubt the reality of heaven and hell and the, my, my need for the forgiveness of sin. I doubted if there was a purpose for my life. And when the Holy Spirit illuminated that truth in my life, everything changed. And I remember praying this prayer when I, alone, in Northern California, alone with my Bible, Lord, if this is true, I want to devote my life to this book. And I just knew in that moment, Lord, my life has a meaning. And, I, and I, Lord, lead me to people who need your truth. I'm, I'm naturally introverted, but if, you'll, if you put people in my path, no matter how nervous I am, I still get nervous to share with people. The Lord told me last night, my wife had me do a Target pickup, 9.30 at night. God bless her. And I went, and the Lord told me to tell the guy, tell him Jesus loves him. I'm like, ugh, and I'm still, I'm still, I can get up here and talk to you, but I can't tell one dude that Jesus loves him. And I'm driving away, and I said, Jesus loves you, man. And I don't know what that meant to him in that moment and how the Holy Spirit wanted to use that, but I know my life has a purpose and I have to be about the Father's business. I have to do what he tells me to do. I want to be used by him. I want my life to have meaning. I carry the message, you carry the message, the only message that can bring peace and clarity to the confusion and the madness of this world. One person at a time. One person at a time. And I, and I love being put in those situations where I'm nervous because it takes a step of faith. And it's exciting. 
If, you, if your Christian experience is boring, you're doing it wrong. Because if you're open, the Lord, will, the Lord will put people right into your lap. And sometimes it's not even to just say anything. Sometimes the Lord will just give you discernment. And the Lord will give you words of knowledge. And, and he'll, just, he'll just speak. And you'll, you, all he's asking you to do, intercede for this person. Just pray for this person. Just don't, just sh- shut up. Shut your mouth and pray. And pray. God wants to use you. But if we're so consumed and worried about our lives, we're not going to see the needs of others. And that, that's why Jesus is saying this. Your life is more than food. And your body is more than clothing. Just settle in your heart that God's going to meet those needs. And start being open to the needs of others. He says, look at the birds of the air. And just within this context, Jesus is talking to these people who have lost all hope in the religious system. They've lost all hope in the political system. These people are poor, oppressed people. And he's looking at them and he's giving them, he's, he, this is um, so typical of how Jesus would teach. He would give this deep spiritual truth and then he'd explain it and illustrate it with, with common day things. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. When have you ever seen a bird anxious? You haven't. They have a new song every morning. He says, look at them. They're not worried. And notice how he ends this verse in verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? What is the truth that the Lord is trying to drive home? That you're valuable. That God values you. He would say, he's going to say in Matthew chapter 10 that, that, that not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father taking, heavenly father taking notice. Are you not more value than many sparrows? And you may doubt that God loves you because you haven't spent time with him. You're valuable to him. He cares about you. He loves you so much that he died for you. May may the power and the truth of the message of the cross never depart from your heart. That the love of God is wrapped up in the cross. He came. He he emptied himself. Took on your form to hurt how you hurt. To feel what you feel. To need what you need. To be spat upon, to be rejected, so that you can know that you have a high priest that sympathizes with your weaknesses. So that you can come to him boldly because you're valuable to him. Your life has value. He says in verse 27, which of you by worrying, he talks about the fruitlessness of worrying. Stop worrying. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You can't. It does no good. Worry actually takes years off your life. And you say, well, how do I stop worrying? He's going to tell us and, and at, the end of this ver- at the end of this portion of Scripture. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider, again, the lilies of the field, how they grow. I love this. What do they do? What do the lilies of the field do? They're a little seed. They go into the ground and they die. And then they spring up and they're beautiful. We don't grow because we don't die. 
We don't bear fruit because we're not willing to go into the ground, which is a very humble place to go, and die to ourselves and let the Lord bear fruit to our lives. The amazing thing about, about this Christian life is just this beauty of abiding in Him and letting Him bear fruit in our lives. And the Bible says, every, John chapter 15, every branch that abides in me, he prunes. You might be going through a pruning season. He might be trying to, trying to prune something in your life. But why? So it can bear more fruit. He's not malicious. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And he thrusts you in the fire to purify you. He is the master craftsman. And he's making you into something. That's why the Bible says, woe to him who strives with his maker. The more we surrender, the more peace we have, the more fruit we bear. They don't toil or spin, verse 29 says, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not, here's a word, much more clothe you, notice, O you of little faith what is faith faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen what is your hope in your life you need to guard your hope by your faith because when you lose hope you lose everything faith is a substance of things hoped for. People read chapter 11 of Hebrews and they call it the hall of faith. And it is because it says, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, and so on and so forth. But the main star of Hebrews 11 is hope. Noah was hoping that once he was done building the ark, that it would begin to rain and his family would be saved. But he worked in faith for 120 years. Abraham was hoping that the Lord would bring back Isaac if he would, in fact, have to kill him. But by faith, he went. What are you hoping for? You should be hoping that God would guide you, that God would provide for you, that God would protect you, that God would deliver you. But by faith... You live that out every day. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. See how this all goes back to what we began this study with, the condition of your heart? Growing in your faith in your relationship with him. Growing in your knowledge of who he is. Oh, you of little faith. And in the seasons of your life where your faith is tested, it's a greater opportunity to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is, right? What Jesus, the same rebuke was given to the disciples on the sea of galilee when they were in the storm the first time and the second time what did he say to them twice oh you of little faith why did you doubt well i doubted because we were about to die in this storm but what did i say to you get in the boat and go to the other side get in the boat and go to the other side so no no matter what happens between Getting in the boat and getting to the other side, is, it's none of your business. It's just an opportunity for your faith to grow. And your faith grows when? When the storm is stopped and you come into the greater knowledge of who he is. Because what did they say when he stopped the storm? Who could this be? 
They, they were drawn deeper into the knowledge of who Jesus actually was. Because when their faith was tested in the book of Acts, they were assured of who Jesus was. Therefore, they were able to preach him with conviction. That's what the Lord wants for you. He wants to strengthen your faith when, when you're going through a season where you think you're lacking. It's not that provision's not going to come. Provision's going to come. It's going to come in his timing. But between point A and point B, you need to walk by faith. He will never leave you lacking. But he wants your heart to be rightly related to him. Verse 31, therefore do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For after all these things the Gentiles, the, the heathens, the ungodly seek after. For your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. I'm so thankful that he knows our needs. He says verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That should be the focus of your life. In whatever season you find yourself in here tonight. How can I be about your kingdom Lord? How can I employ the principles of your kingdom to this situation? How do I grow in the virtues? How do I become more patient, more loving, more kind, more gentle, more humble in this season of my life? How do I become more loving to other people? How do I glorify you in this season of my life that is so difficult? That's what seeking first the kingdom of God looks like. But then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek to be like him. Seek to be holy as he is holy. Seek his righteousness. Live out the heavenly reality. What do I mean by that? When you gave your life to Christ, you weren't just forgiven of sins. That's great. I'm thankful for that. But I'm more thankful that the righteousness of Christ was imputed upon me. That when he looks at me, I'm justified. He sees me as holy and as righteous as he sees his son. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So I want to live that righteousness out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we again, we need to stop and ask ourselves this question at this point. Am I seeking him first? Because the Lord will withhold provision until your heart is seeking him first. We all love, how many of you know Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We love that verse. But do you know the context in which that verse was given? It was after they were promised that they were going to go into Babylonian, Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And that they weren't going to get out of it. Even in that, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Their thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And then he goes on to say, but when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. It's amazing to me that the Lord will hedge us about to correct the posture of our heart, to seek him correctly. Why? Because he longs to bless us. He longs to show himself faithful but he wants to get us in a position to where we are prepared to receive the blessing. And so he allows us to go through difficulties to where we are seeking him first and his righteousness. And he says this in verse 34. Therefore I say, do not worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love that verse. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Your anxiety about your future pays no spiritual dividends. And you say, well, how do I get rid of this? Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But are you diligent in this? With all prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. What is supplication? It's specific requests. With thanksgiving. In everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Examine your prayer life. Examine your prayer life. Am I talking to him as I should be? Am I specific in my prayer? Am I thankful in my prayer life? Am I, am I giving thanks for what he's doing and what he's done? Because only then will the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your heart and mind. That word means to garrison around your heart and mind, to guard it. It'll guard your heart and mind. That is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because when you're doing that, peace enters your heart and mind and you're assured that all things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word here this evening, Lord. For your grace, your love, your mercy, your compassion, your kindness, your goodness. Thank you for your gentleness in our lives, Lord. We do love you. We long to love you more. Help us. Help us to love you more. Lord, we pray f that you would, um, Lord, just cleanse our minds and our hearts, Lord. Give us a desire for you, Lord. Reveal to us the gifts of the Spirit. For those who have been seeking you for the gifts of the Spirit, I pray that you would move. Let's just wait upon him right now. Go ahead, Mackenzie.